0: Let's just pray. Lord, we ask that as we come to your word in a passage that may be very unfamiliar to many of us, full of names that we're not familiar with, grant that we would be conscious of the name of Jesus and grant that you would speak to us through it in your name. Amen. Okay. um, I got it this morning and I read some things that I want to share with you both this morning and this evening. Chrysostom says this, for what is equal to preaching since it makes men vie with the angels themselves? To teach God's word, it's not like a lecture in a university, it is just, it is to proclaim the beauty of Jesus. The Lord has done great things for us and we are filled with joy. Spurgeon in his morning and evening commenting on this passage, Psalm 126 says this, I will speak not about myself, but to the honor of my God. In looking back, it would be wrong to deny that we have been in the slough of despond and have crept along the valley of humiliation. But it would be equally wicked to forget that we have been through them safely and profitably. We have not remained in them thanks to our almighty helper and leader who has brought us out into a wealthy or a spacious place. Well, as we come towards uh, the end of Romans. It is, this, for me, is a fabulous uh, passage. Sometimes we, we come to the Word of God with a, a sense that we know it, or that it's of little relevance to us. And what we're going to read is basically a list of names, and we will often uh, skip over it. Chrysostom, again, it shows it's not a, a, a a new problem. He says, I think that many of those who have the appearance of being extremely good men hasten over this part of the epistle as superfluous, and yet it is possible, even from bare names, to find a great treasure. The great thing about this is it's about people, and it reminds us that the letter is written to people by people. It's God's church is not primarily an organization or an institution. It is a community of God's people. It's one of the things that I'm very, very thankful that with all our faults, uh, we have been able, we are able to experience here. I think this is about the kind of church that this congregation or wherever you're from should be. And I think it's important that we aim for that because if we want to bring the good news to people, they need to be able to come and see the good news in practice by this, all men will know that you are my disciples. So, we begin these first two verses. I commend to you our sister Phoebe, a deacon of the church in cenchrea I ask you to receive her in the Lord in a way worthy of his people and to give her any help she may need from you, for she has been the benefactor of many people, including me. Why does he mention Phoebe first? Well, it's because she was the postwoman she's bringing the letter. There's no emails. So it's highly likely she was either on business or possibly from a word that's used in verse two, that she was engaged in a lawsuit. And so she was coming to Rome. And Paul, who wrote this letter, probably in Corinth in Greece, uh, gives her this letter to take. He entrusts her with it and he commends her. Now, why does he commend her? Um, in the those of you who had the privilege of being brought up in the Christian brethren, and there's quite a few of you here. It's the biggest church in the world, the ex-brethren. But um, those of you who have had the privilege, like me, of being brought up in the Christian brethren, you'll remember they had the assembly and the meeting. And if you were a brother or sister from another assembly to take communion, you had to have a letter of commendation. And actually, that's not far off. What was happening here because here's one of the things christians get suckered easily someone comes in and we've had people come in here and they with all the spiritual talk and they want money it's like you see it on the internet i don't know if this happens to you but basically every day someone somewhere in the world writes me usually india or nigeria telling me that they're running an orphanage for christians and i think there must be a million orphanages in, in nigeria run by christians and the first thing they do, they, they, they call themselves apostles, and they ask blessings on you, and then they ask you for money. How do I know if they're real or genuine? We don't. And Paul, when he's sending this letter, he's commending Phoebe. He says, I, I, You know, there's, there may be lots of people who come and who try and scrounge off you. He says, Phoebe, this is a good woman. I'm giving her this letter. I want you to welcome her. Probably give her hospitality. Look after her. Assist her in Rome. She's described as a sister of Paul. She has a pagan name, so she was a, a Gentile, not a Jew. Um, she's described as a minister or a servant of the church in Senchria. Uh Diakonos. Now, people argue back and forth about this. I, I Personally, I don't see any difficulty at all in saying, well, she was. She was a deacon of the church in, in Synchria. She was a servant of the church in Synchria, One of the interesting things about being in this church is that people will come in and they'll say, well, all your elders are are men. And why are you so misogynistic? And that results in lots and lots of interesting conversations that I've had many times over the years. But what we do is we follow what the Bible teaches. And the Bible's very clear about who should be elders. And so we stick with the scriptures. Whether we like it or not, that's not the issue. But sometimes people go almost too far uh, the other way and they think that if you're a woman in the church you're somehow in a lesser place no you're not not at all and it's interesting that Paul in this letter he it's a a woman who brings it and it's a woman who he commends as a servant of the church and notice what she says as well this is for me even more significant than that Um, I want you to give her any help. Why? For she has been a help to many people. She has been a benefactor to many people, including me. So it's almost certain that she was a wealthy woman. And she used her money for good. Now, again, we have to be quite careful how we, how we look at things. Our society worships money. And if someone comes in who's wealthy, the temptation is that we will treat them better than someone who's not wealthy. But you can have an inverted snobbery as well, which says, you know, no wealthy people in the church. But God does send wealthy people. And there are wealthy people who have been of great benefit to the church. If God has given you money, he has given it to you to share. He hasn't given it to you to hoard. And I guess in the eyes of of the world, most of us are Wealthier than the vast majority of people in this world, and we have a responsibility. As Phoebe took that, so she is a great help to many people. If you're looking to have a biblical church, what you're looking to do is to say, "How can I help? What can I do?" Well, let's go on and read uh, the next few verses, verses one to sixteen. Greet Priscilla and Aquila, my fellow workers in Christ Jesus. They risked their lives for me. Not only I, but all the churches of the Gentiles are grateful to them. Greet also the church that meets at their house. Greet my dear friend Epinitus, who was the first convert to Christ in the province of Asia. Greet Mary, who worked very hard for you. Greet Andronicus and Junia, my fellow Jews, who have been in prison with me. They are outstanding among the apostles, and they were in Christ before I was. Greet Apollitus, my dear friend in the Lord. Greet Urbanus, our fellow worker in Christ, and my dear friend Stachus. Greet Apelles, whose fidelity to Christ has stood the test. Greet those who belong to the household of Aristobulus. Greet Herodian, my fellow Jew. Greet those in the household of Narcissus, who are in the Lord. Greet Tryphena and Tryphosa, these women who work hard in the Lord. <clears throat> Sorry. Greet my dear friend Persis, another woman who has worked very hard in the Lord. Greet Rufus, chosen in the Lord, and his mother, who has been a mother to me too. Greet Asyncritus, Felijon, Hermes, Petrobas, Hermas, and the other brothers and sisters with them. Greet Philogius, Julia, Nerosus, and his sister, and Olympus, and all the Lord's people who are with them. Greet one another with a holy kiss. All the churches of Christ send greetings. Paul... Does what most of us would not do. He names people in a church. You know, it would be so embarrassing, wouldn't it, if I started name. Well, I do sometimes name people, and I apologise for that. Occasionally, I even ask people to come up without them knowing about it. Um, but maybe, maybe just the way that we think. But when I read this list, I think, what if you were there and you weren't named, and you knew Paul? You say, "Well, why has he left me out? Why didn't he mention me?" You know, So it, should Paul not have been a bit more like one of these people who wins an Oscar and says, well, I'd like to thank my mother and God and everyone who knows me and everyone who helped me? Should he not have done that? No. Why, why? inspired by the Spirit, is he doing this? Because he's showing that the church is a community of people. And these are people whom he personally knew, which is even more astonishing because he hadn't been to Rome. So how can he... There's 26 people mentioned. 24 are named personally by their name, how could Paul have known so many people when he, in the Roman church when he'd not been to Rome? Well, you need to remember that they traveled a lot and they, they did business, especially to do business. And I think that Paul must have come across all these people. They're people who have gone from there to Rome. So it's a bit like when we're in Sydney, we'll meet people who say, I'm Fidundi." You know, and, and you'll meet, you meet people in, the, and in the Christian church, you meet people all over the world. Do you know so-and-so? Do you know so We got a lift in a car one time in Sydney, and they said, do you know David Ellis? Oh, well, yeah. Who doesn't know David Ellis? You know, that kind of thing. And then you, you people, it's, it's, it's the Christian church in, in one sense is, is really amazing like that. And Paul, Paul's not ashamed to say that. If you go down to London or, or, uh, or you're, you know, well, in Scotland, everybody, Ken's everybody, but, uh you, you know, you you will meet people. Oh, yes. And you can soon make connections. I used to laugh so much when Murdo McLeod, our beloved elder retired minister, would be on the door and it didn't matter. Supposing you were from Nigeria, he would ask, first of all, who are you and who are your people? And he would try and get a Lewis connection that you were connected in some way, no matter you're Chinese, doesn't matter. There's a Lewis connection somewhere. And and he would find it Well there's a Christian connection Amongst God's people And it's so straightforward And it's so easy At one level And then this passage Again it shows what a church should be Because there's there's diversity And there's unity So let me just go through the names Aquila and Priscilla Jewish Christians Amapelitis, Urbanus, Hermes, Philogius, and Julia Slave names So slaves in this church Aristobulus Verse 10. He is the grandson of Herod the Great. Pretty well royalty, slaves, royalty. And he's the friend of the emperor Claudius. He's in the royal palace. Narcissus, well known, rich and powerful man. You'll notice, incidentally, it's the churches that meet at their home. It was churches in households. Rufus, verse 10. That may be vaguely familiar to some of you. Mark 15, verse 21. A certain man from Cyrene, Simon, the the father of Alexander and Rufus, was passing by on his way in from the country, and they forced him to carry the cross. Simon of Cyrene carried the cross, and Paul says, I want you to greet Rufus, because Rufus is in Rome now, and he's in your church, and his dad carried the cross. There are Jewish names, Herodian, Latin names, Urbanus, and Greek names. And that's again what the church should be. It's just wrong to have a Scottish church, a Chinese church, a Malaysian church, a Greek church, or whatever. You have a church that is the church of Jesus Christ, and people from every background should be welcome to that. Sometimes psychologically, we, we might say, oh, th- this church is not for me. No, no, if this is the church of Jesus Christ, Richard was quite right when he prayed. This is the church of Jesus Christ, it's not mine. So it's it's his church, and all his people are welcome. There are new and older converts. Epenetus, the first of many converts. Andronicus and Junia were Christians before Paul. There were different personalities. I quite like the name Phylogius because I think it's a nickname because it just means fond of words, Uh, a chatterbox. I'll not say which one of my children was called that in a report card at school, but fond of words, a chatterbox. I, 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 for me, I, I quite like the idea that Paul says, say hi to chatterbox as well, will you? Um, nine of the 26 are women. Now remember, this is in a culture which is largely patriarchal, in which women were treated as lesser. And don't let anyone ever tell you that the Apostle Paul was some kind of anti-woman, you know, hater, misogynist, or whatever. Because we stick to what the Bible says, it's 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 that's the very radicalness that changes things. Men and women were equal in Christ. Now, we have different roles. Uh, you know, that just kind of makes sense in so many ways, but they were equal in Christ. And Paul had no problem in identifying these women by name. Uh, I find it particularly interesting he he talks about four who work hard they work really hard in the Lord, Mary um, Tryphena and Tryphosa the name suggests that they were twin sisters Uh, that's a a real possibility and the one that's most fascinating for me is Prisca or Priscilla why? because do you do this? When you say, um, you know, like, we say John and Julie. Why don't we say Julie and John? It's just, it's a habit, it's a cultural thing. David and Annabelle. Want to say Annabelle and David? Well, some people do. Some people do that deliberately. I think Paul does it here deliberately. Four times, she's mentioned first. Why? Perhaps she might have been the first to be a Christian. We don't know. In, in in that couple, there's Andronicus and Junia, not, not Junius. Probably a married couple, outstanding among the apostles. Doesn't necessarily mean that they were apostles in the sense of missionaries being sent. Could mean that, but means that it couldn't also mean that the apostles regarded them as outstanding. You know, this was a this is a wonderful couple. Here's a fascinating thing in the church. If you're a single person, don't ever feel. That somehow, because this is a church with a lot of young people and a lot of babies, that you're missing out and you're not as valuable. You have no idea how valuable you are. And if you're a couple, you do not exist as a couple for yourselves, but in the words of Christopher Ash's book that we use a lot, you're married for God. And couples generally work together better. Now, I have seen many Christian homes made useless because one partner rebels against that. You know, now we work hard. This is what Romans 16 is about. It's it's always hard work. It's never going to go. The Christian looks forward to heaven because you'll finally get some rest. We, can re- we do rest. The Lord leads us beside the still waters. There are periods of refreshments. We do have the Sabbath day uh, to rest. We are given times of refreshment and holy days, holidays. But for all this life, we will be engaged in spiritual warfare. So I think these names are marvelous in that. I think also uh, the variety. I love the variety in, in this church I started listing nationalities and then I gave up because I realized I was going to miss someone out. But, you know, I'm sorry if I miss you. In fact, you know who I missed out? I actually missed out the English, so I apologize for that. But if you're English or Malaysian or Romanian or Finnish or Chinese or Singaporean or Nigerian or Malawian or Ghanaian, German, French, Norwegian, Dutch, Mexican, Brazilian, American, Canadian, Estonian, Greek, Japanese, uh, New Zealand, Spanish, Jewish, Zambian, whatever. I mean, there's so many different... It's been such a privilege to have so many people come from different cultures. I remember once thinking, we haven't had anyone from the Faroe Islands. And a Faroese guy turned up and we asked him to pray in Faroese. which was just brilliant. God's people are all over the world. And here's the thing, the world comes to Dundee. I know, you know, if you're from the Sidlaws or, you know, Forfa or something, you, know, you think Dundee is the big city. Uh, it is, kind of. But it is true that because of modern travel because of the universities, because of business, the world comes to Dundee. It's wonderful. McShane traveled to Israel, took six months, nearly died twice, never baptized a Jew. The third person I baptized here was a Jew from America who came here and was converted. It's just just what God does in in the church is absolutely remarkable. And I do want to encourage you if you're someone who comes into this church and maybe you think, this is not my background. There's nobody people here like me. That doesn't matter. Talk to people. Get to know people. And it's, it's one of the ways that we, we learn so much. There's so much variety. I thought I would, I would just mention some people who are not here. Um, I remember a, a Zambian lady who came. And she, came, she wanted to become a member with us. She was a doctor. And she came in to meet the elders. Uh, we were through in the hall. It's it was a long time ago, so I'm not sure any elders here were around at that time. And I remember she came in, and she, she had a skirt on, and she curtsied to all of the elders, one by one. And I thought, they, they just adored her, and I thought, you could say whatever you want, you're in. <laughs> and, uh, but then we questioned her, and we said, you know, tell us about your faith a little bit. And, and then someone said, why do you want to come to this church? And she said, oh, because I've been around different churches, and this is the church most like my church at home. So they said, well, what's your church at home? She said, the Catholic church. <laughs> okay, that, that wasn't an answer they were expecting. But her particular church, Catholic church had a, a preacher who preached the Bible and had a, a strong sense of community. And, and so you could see it. it so was, she it was an absolutely lovely lady. Or a Muslim man who came in and he said, I don't want to tell you my name. My father's an imam. But he said, I'll tell you why I'm here. Because he lived across the road in, uh, in the Blackness Road and one day, one night he had a dream and he had a dream of a Bible that he went across and opened and when he opened it, it smelled of sweet perfume. And so he got up and he was quite shaken by this dream and he came and he opened his window and we'd just put lights in the clock and he saw the clock and he said, I have to go to that church. I don't know what happened to him. He came for six weeks. I honoured what he said. I've never mentioned his name. Um, his father was an imam. I, he heard God's word. That's wonderful. That's wonderful. Or a drug addict who came in and the next day um, was in prison and yet was converted in prison. And had a rough time up and down. It wasn't, it wasn't, it wasn't a story of him being converted and that's it. He had a rough, rough time. But people in this church were very good to him in different ways. Just treating him not as a drug addict, but as a human being. It was very important. Or you might think the opposite end of the scale. A wealthy doctor who seemed to have absolutely everything and one day uh, asked to come and, and, and talk and said to me, David, what's it all about? This is all pointless. What's it all about? As lost, as the drug addict. That's what the church is. The church is just a bunch of different messed up people who come to know Jesus and who come to love Jesus and who come to serve Jesus. Galatians 3.28, there is neither Jew nor Gentile, neither slave nor free, nor is there male and female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. And notice, the unity of the church comes from this. You go through this passage, four times he says in Christ, five times he says in the Lord, twice he says brother or sister. He uses two experiences to identify people being bound together, fellow workers and fellow sufferers. You are bound together as a Christian when you've cleaned out the toilets with somebody. That really helps your fellowship. I'm not joking, actually. That really does. And you are bound together when you suffer with someone, when you sit and weep with them at the loss of a loved one. That's, that changes everything. It changes everything. It, it deepens your relationship. You work together and you suffer together. You'll notice verses 5, 10, 11, and 14, they met in household churches. Some have suggested that they did meet according to rank, sex, and ethnic group. I think that's impossible to imagine. Not with the teaching that is given in the New Testament. Many people want a homogenous church. They want a church with people just like them. Now, it can't be the case. God builds his church. You don't pick who comes to the church. It's God who builds his church. And then notice as well, in this, the holy kiss. Now, there's a tendency to kind of joke about this a little bit. You know, and greet one another with a holy kiss. Except the problem is, it's mentioned several times in the New Testament. And 1 Peter 5.14, 1 Thessalonians 5.26, 2 Corinthians 13.12, 1 Corinthians 16.19. The churches in the province of Asia send you greetings. Aquila and Priscilla greet you warmly in the Lord. And so does the church that meets at their house. All the brothers and sisters here send you greetings. Greet one another with a holy kiss. What what is being talked about there? Justin Martyr, one of the earliest um, non-New Testament Christians, if you like, writes about on finishing the prayers, we greet each other with a holy kiss. My favorite reference in all the church fathers to this practice is Clement of Alexandria, who speaks of people who made the church resound with kissing and the trouble and the rumors that that led to, as you can imagine you know so what 's he saying I think it's it 's physical contact it 's people contact I, I listened to a program the other week about having virtual church. We have a virtual church. You click on a link. You, you can go in. You make yourself an avatar. You can go in and be baptized as an avatar. You have communion as an avatar. You talk to people as an avatar. You can walk out as an avatar. And this guy was saying, this is a great way of bringing the word of the Lord. No, it's not. It's an awful way. It's not bringing the word of the Lord. What brings the word of the Lord is people. And that does include physical contact. Now, that will be expressed differently in different cultures. Um, There are countries where it's customary for men to greet one another with a kiss. I wouldn't recommend you try it at Den's Park. Uh, (laughs) I don't think it'd work too well. But there are ways. Um, Remember John Cooper coming up here one time and trying to teach us how to do a man hug. Uh, whatever that means. There are different ways that we express our emotion. There are different ways that we physically interact. But the point about it is the body of Christ is physical. It is people and caring and sharing and greeting one another. So it's not a closed, cliquish church. It's an open church, welcoming to all, varied, united around Christ, where uh, there's practical, physical expressions of love and care for one another. But then he goes on to these words. I urge you, brothers and sisters, to watch out for those who cause divisions and put obstacles in your way that are contrary to the teaching you have learned. Keep away from them. For such people are not serving our Lord Christ, but their own appetites. By smooth talk and flattery, they deceive the minds of naive people. Everyone has heard about your obedience, so I rejoice because of you, but I want you to be wise about what is good and innocent about what is evil. We need to be really careful in that. Um, there's The church is so easily disrupted by people fighting within and by false teaching. So he says, be vigilant for those who cause division. Some divisions are inevitable. Jesus, Matthew ten thirty four, do not suppose I've come to bring peace on the earth. I did not come to bring peace, but a sword. Now Jesus was not, you have to take everything that's said in context, he was not advocating violence and he was not saying that his main purpose is to do that but he's, he's dividing good from evil and there are things that are stumbling blocks but Paul is concerned most of all here about people who come and teach and act contrary to the Bible teaching and he says basically you separate from them, you don't approach them with a holy kiss 1 Corinthians 5.9, I wrote to you in my letter not to associate with sexually immoral people, not at all meaning the people of this world who are immoral or the greedy and swindlers or idolaters. In that case, you'd have to leave this world. Paul doesn't say, look, um, you have not to be with anyone in Dundee who's sexually immoral or swindler or greedy or whatever, because otherwise you'd have to get out of the city because that's the way people are. But now he says, I'm writing to you. You must not associate with anyone who claims to be a brother or sister, but is sexually immoral or greedy, an idolater or slanderer, a drunkard or a swindler. Do not even eat with such people. That's how seriously hypocrisy is taken in the New Testament church. And we will do so much harm when we tolerate error and hypocrisy within the church. 2 Thessalonians 3, 6, in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, we command you, brothers and sisters, to keep away from every believer who is idle and disruptive and does not live according to the teaching you receive from us. Hard-working, 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 hard-working. The idle ones, they're, they're not fulfilling the law of Christ. He says keep away from them. 2 Thessalonians 3.14, take special note of anyone who does not obey our instruction in this letter. Do not associate with them in order that they may feel ashamed. 2 Timothy 3.5, having a form of godliness but denying its power. Have nothing to do with such people. Titus 3.10, warn a divisive person once and then warn them a second time. After that, have nothing to do with them. Now, this is not concerning trivial matters. It's not saying everyone is going to be absolutely pure because nobody is but it's concerning the most important. It's concerning those whose God is their belly, as Paul says in Philippians 3.19, who serve themselves, who are just egotistic, narcissistic, who have no love for Christ and no desire to be his willing slaves. They are self-centered. And here's the thing. You and I could very easily fall into that trap. Having begun well, what has caused you to stumble? What has caused you to fall? You know, the most dangerous time for a church and the most dangerous time for a Christian is not when things are tough and hard, but when things are going well. Because we tend to say, look at what we did. We did nothing. Nothing. The Lord worked amongst his people. These people affect the gullible. They seduce them with smooth words. It's amazing to me how the tele-evangelists and others, but not just them, how they, can, how, they can, how they can manipulate people to get money out of people. Just quite extraordinary. But sometimes we are so gullible and we shouldn't be. He says, what I want you to do, he says, I want you to delight in obedience. There's a, you can be blind or you can be discerning. To be wise in, in regard to good is to recognize it, to love it and to follow it. To be evil is to be unsophisticated and, uh, sorry, as regards evil, to be unsophisticated and guileless in terms of evil. There are people who are experts in good and not even beginners in evil. And there are people who are experts in evil and not even beginners in good. And so Paul's saying, this is what I want you to do. And, and John Stott helps us in this, I think, by offering three tests biblical, Christological, and moral. And biblical, Christ centered, and moral. Do, when someone's saying something, does it agree with Scripture? Does it glorify Jesus? And does it promote goodness? He says, I, I, You have to work these things out. Paul doesn't give them a list of rules, he helps them to think Christ like. That's what a real mature church is. And then he promises them, the God of peace will soon crush Satan under your feet. The grace of our Lord Jesus be with you. It is so important for us to grasp this. Several times in this church, I've felt absolutely defeated to the point of, I just, I give up. I've got to walk away. You know, you feel you're useless. You feel 101 different things. Many of you will identify with that experience. But I'll tell you what's wrong with that feeling. It's so self-absorbed still. It's not about me. It's not about you. It's about Christ. We've um, been celebrating D-Day or remembering, commemorating D-Day and I think one of the, the key things about D-Day, the landing on the Normandy beaches, as well as you know the cost that it involved and everything involved, and the horror of it, because it was horrible, is that once that was done, there, there was no way back for the Nazis. It was, it was every, there may have been many defeats, like the Battle of the Bulge and things like that, but there was no way back. I think of the cross as our D-Day when Christ landed in this world when Christ defeated the devil. And there's a series of ongoing skirmishes up until he returns again. But it's an absolute guarantee that we have that we are on the Lord's side. The devil is and will be defeated. Genesis 3:15, the seed of the woman crushes the seed of the serpent. And many times we feel that that's not the case. Many times we are tempted to say, let's shrink in, let's hold on because the devil is winning, because we're going to be defeated, and so on. And there's a, there's a, wrong, there's a triumphalism which says we're always going to be victorious. No, you're not. You're going to have many defeats in your life. And there will be many things go wrong in the church. But there's a wrong kind of defeatism and cynicism and despair which just says, just let it all be over. And I think Satan's behind both of those false teachings because the truth is the God of peace will crush him. Will crush him. We look forward to the second coming but we expect victories. One time I was feeling very, very defeated. Very, very low. And it was unusual because I'd come to the prayer meeting and the prayer meeting usually lifted me and it and I didn't. And I came out and I was going to go home and I was chaplain for Dundee Football Club, and Dundee were playing that night, and um, I thought, "Do you know this? I'll just go to the second half of the game." So I went in because I was a chaplain; I didn't have to pay. I flashed my badge, you know, access all areas. I went in. I, I always got a good seat, and uh, there was a Christian brother playing for Dundee called Wan and Wan just scored a hat trick, and he. As I went in and sat down, he scored his third goal, came running towards us to celebrate, and he had this habit of lifting up his shirt, and underneath, he always had a shirt with a Bible verse on it. And his Bible verse was, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. And I just thought, what, how weird. God speaks to me in a football match. That was my justification for going. But, you know, how weird, but not weird. Juan Sarah loved the Lord. Do you know what? He was an amazing guy. He would always ask to room with a different member of the team when they went on uh, overseas trips because Dundee were quite good in those days and and so that he could share the gospel with him he started a bible study in that club there's a a a well-known football uh, goalkeeper called Julian Speroni who was converted through that bible study went down to Crystal Palace he was baptized in Central Baptist here and then another man called Brent Sancho who was uh, you know he was a Christian when he came here but they had such a good witness. In the midst of a very corrupt institution. I can't even begin to tell you how corrupt it was. And yet there was God with his people. And often you would see one Sarah on the pitch. And he would just go like that. And that was his sign. God always defeats the devil. And he wasn't talking about football. He wasn't talking about winning a game. He was talking about winning life. Well that's what we have as Christians isn't it? These people. These, these slaves. And royalty. And business people, men and women, Greeks and Jews and Romans, are the church of Jesus Christ that this whole wonderful epistle has been about. And they are about to undergo the most intense persecution. Paul didn't know what was going to happen, but they were were to undergo that. And they would have this letter to tell them when they were being burned, when they were being tortured, when they were being exiled, when they were being killed, the God of peace crushes satan under your feet that's where we're at as a church if you are a christian then you need to hold on to that and you need to remember that whatever happens it is god's church and god will bless his church and god will build up his church yes god will humble god will rebuke god will correct but you are on the winning side and if you're not a christian you need to switch sides Because you're on the wrong side. You need to come and know Jesus Christ and come to know what he says here. The grace of our Lord Jesus be with you. All of this only comes from grace. Let's pray. Lord, may your grace be with us. And may we know the God of peace crushing sin. May we be a church that is united together around you. Different people, different backgrounds, different ethnicities, different genders. None of these things ultimately matter when we are in Christ. So grant, O Lord, that you would build up and strengthen your church here from the youngest to the oldest. And grant as we continue to worship you throughout this day that our eyes would be focused on you. You are the King of glory. You are the God of peace. You are the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. And we bless you for all the blessings that flow from that. In your name, amen. We're going to sing the song, Christ is Mine Forevermore. Uh, If someone could go out and tell the Sunday school, they can come back in and then we'll have the prize giving when they do. Mine are days that God has numbered, I was made to walk with him. Yet I look for worldly treasure and forsake the King of Kings. Let's stand And sing this to God's praise.